Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or well, like wordofgracechurch.com. We've, we've come through some, some difficult waters episode. the last couple of weeks, and, and I don't believe that God has kind of brought me back to share with you something that is, you know, just flippant in any way. I believe that God's given me a word for you today uh, because it really is something that is at the heart of all of us. I want to ask you to humor me one more time. A, a few weeks ago, we had some conversations about what it means to be made in God's image, to be icons in the Greek, to be his royal priesthood. And um, the Lord really just laid something new on my heart that I think is directly tied to that part of our identity, what it means to be human to be made in the image of God. There's something too important to miss, and I want to share it with you if you'll let me go backwards and dive back into this conversation. See, we had left off talking about what it means to be God's ambassadors, to be co-laborers with Christ. What a privilege that is, amen? What a privilege it is to work with the King of Kings. That is amazing to me. And the reality is we begin to operate how he created us to operate. We, we step into this identity of being made in his image when we live out this calling, be his ambassadors, and we show the world his ways. That sounds really nice. We talked a lot about that, but really what I want to get into is a little bit more practical than that today because that's great, but how does that work itself out in my day-to-day, right? You know, with the people I see, with my coming and my going and the the agenda that we all have for day. Anybody else have like a huge agenda? I'm like, it's Sunday and I have a huge agenda, right? How is it working itself out for me to be made in the image of God in all those tasks that I have and all the stuff I have to do? The reality is the place that we step into our identity being made in God's image is most often in our work, our work. The work that we do, our day-to-day, our tasks and our roles, the different hats we wear. You know that we work more than we do anything else besides sleep, right? Work is important. Am I right? But I want to look at our work today because the way that we work and why we work is a huge part of what it means to be created in God's image. So let's check it out. I want to read to you one verse of scripture from the book of Genesis, chapter 2. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible with you. This is Genesis 2, 15. And it says this. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. He put us there for a reason. Let's pray together and let's get into the word. Amen. Jesus, we're thankful for your word. Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us today. We thank you that you made us in your image and you made us for a reason. Help us, Lord, to once again discover more about what it means to be made in your image today. Help us to honor you in our day-to-day grind, our our tasks, our roles, and all that we do and in all of our work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've I've touched on this before, but uh, when I was young, I I was serving as a youth pastor right out of college. just because there was a young church plant that I was loving and they needed somebody to help with the youth. 
And uh, the time came and, and the Lord was speaking to me and opening doors for me to move abroad to work in business in England. And I'll, I'll never forget, I, the pastor wasn't so thrilled about that idea, the pastor that I was serving with. Church planners tend to have an uh, ability to just to be like, no, that's not God you're talking to. You're supposed to be here, right? Um, and he was very much that way. And I, I'll never forget, he said to me, he said, Ryan, you have a choice to make. You will either be a king or you will be a priest. Which one will you choose? And what he was really speaking to is, is something we all have an idea of, which is this idea there is a difference between secular work and sacred work. And whether we like it or not, that's something that we think of. It's, it's kind of bred into us in our world. There's some work that is God-honoring work, and there's some work that's like just a job, and it's just a thing that we do, right? That's, that's something that's bred into us. But his words never sat well with me. I didn't agree with him, but it really took me over a decade to understand why his words didn't sit well with me. You see, this secular sacred distinction, it's not a distinction that the Bible ever makes. It's not a distinction in the kingdom of God. And as Peter points out, as we've been talking about, we're called to be both kings and priests. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. So I think I began to discover a few years ago why it didn't sit well with me. And I think what Charlene shared with us a couple weeks ago really brought it home when she said, there are no professional Christians. Man, how many of you guys enjoyed having Charlene share with us a few weeks ago? Yeah, I, I took note after note after note, and she just really kind of fueled my fire to talk to you today about what I want to talk to you about. There are no professional Christians. It's true. I mean, if anything, you look at the 12 guys Jesus chose, and every one of them had basically missed their shot on being a religious professional. But it's more than that in scripture, because this idea that some work is secular, some work is sacred, goes against what scripture teaches us about work in general. See, there are whole conferences that you can go to today about how we can make our work honoring to God, how we can worship through our work. And those are extremely important things for us to learn how to do. That's valuable for us to remember. We could spend a month talking about making our work an act of worship to the king. But today, I hope you'll indulge me again. I want to do something a little different. I want to hopefully bring a fresh perspective because I don't want to look at how we work. I want to look at why we work. I want to look at why we work in the first place and what the Bible tells us about our work. Because work is a part of our identity. Work is a part of our design. And work ultimately is a gift from God. Genesis makes it plain we have a specific calling as human beings. We have work to do. The entire creation narrative establishes a unique role for human beings on planet Earth that we are all designed to give our all to. We're given the responsibility to see to it that the whole Earth flourishes according to God's design. Genesis 1.28, where God first speaks to the man, he says, be fruitful and multiply reign over the earth, have dominion, govern the earth, exert my authority in my ways. God entrusts us with a role on planet earth right away. We were created for something. We were created to do work. Tim Keller defines work as this, and I love this definition. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. That's a great definition for work. 
And the amplified version of Genesis 2.15 that we just read says this, So the Lord God took the man he had made and settled him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. That word for cultivate, the word abad, cultivate is a phenomenal translation of that word. It's a picture of careful, deliberate work that helps things to thrive. We are called to careful, deliberate work that helps our world to thrive. Those relationships, whatever sphere of influence, we are called to work in such a way that it thrives under God's plan. You know, Lara's family this year, uh, for some reason, they got really, really excited and they started doing these massive gardens. I mean, like dig up your backyard and, and plant a whole garden thing. And, and it's pretty awesome, to be honest. I, I am not a gardener. Anybody in here love to garden? God bless you. I could learn from you. But they, they started these gardens. And right about now, I've been getting pictures every single day of their harvests of what they've been growing. And it's, it's amazing. All kinds of peppers and tomatoes and berries and squash, lettuce, a bunch of stuff that I don't eat. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> for all of our, our vegans and vegetarians out there, it's like all you have is coming from the earth. And uh, there's something that I have just enjoyed so much. And I've tasted the fruit and, and watching them labor carefully, watching them plan and plant, tend and water, cultivate and harvest, and then get to enjoy it fully and give it away and bless others with that. It's been pretty cool to watch. It's been pretty cool to be blessed by. But that didn't mean it was easy work. I mean, I watched them work and it was hard work. It takes time and energy and focus. It's hard work, but it was worth it when the fruit comes. It was worth it. And the reality is in all of our work, whatever that may be for you, we are called to cultivate. We are called to do this kind of work, to carefully tend and to watch things grow and to let things thrive. That's the way we're called to work in scripture. I love how John Mark Comer reminds us, he says, sometimes our picture of Adam and Eve in the garden is of them sitting on the beach, sipping Mai Tais and perusing Vogue while working on a tan. The reality is, even in paradise, we were working. We had a role, we had a job to do. Did you know that? Adam and Eve weren't just living life and you know, frolicking. They had a job to do. They were working with the king. The budding new creation was wild and free and growing. And just as God created bees to pollinate flowers, he made human beings to bring his order to the world around them, to mediate his will, to cultivate our world with his blessing. Sometimes in church, we talk about the culture of our world, right? We talk about the, the ways of our world, the things that don't agree with the ways of God and how we're called as Christians to counter that culture, to stand out and be different, right? Please tell me you've heard this message. If you haven't, I don't know where you've been in church for the last like three decades. We're called to counter our world, but the reality is this, even though so much of our world is contrary to the culture God wants to bring, it's not just about withdrawing from our world. It's not just about abstaining from the habits of our world that are contrary to God's culture. It's not just about being reactionary. It's about stepping into our identity. It's about becoming who God made us to be. It's about working to actively create the culture of the kingdom. 
Not just stepping away from the culture that's being made around us, but creating what he wants us to create. Cultivating the kingdom of God with every step we take and every workplace we inhabit. Can somebody say amen to that? Okay, good. You're there. That's what it means to cultivate. That's what it means for us to step into being made in God's image. Again, John Mark Comer says, our world culture comes straight from this idea of cultivation. Good culture is the result of even better people hard at work. You've ever been part of a great work culture? You ever been part of a great church culture? Do you know how it gets there? Good people hard at work who take their calling to cultivate seriously and they do it with the king. Our world is full of chaos and lies and all kinds of awful things. You just need to flip on the TV and see it. But it's also full of raw materials. And we get to be the ones who don't shy away from the work, but get busy doing what we were made to do, to create with the creator in every field of work. You see, we need spirit-filled God-fearing Christians in every domain of work that you can imagine, whether that's education or the arts or government, business and medicine, whether it's our families, we need Christians to be ready to cultivate, to not shy away. Christians who are ready to take the raw materials God has entrusted to us and build his kingdom with him. Amen? Because God has given us work to do. He's given us work to do. When we say that we were made in the image of God, we have to remember that means we were made in the image of a God who works. He's a God who is at work, was at work, and will be at work continuously. He's not a God like so many of the ancient stories of creation that you see in other parts of the ancient world where you see the gods, they just create humans to be the slaves that do all the work while they sit around and laugh and sip wine. That's not the image of God that we're shown in the Bible. The image of God we're shown is one who kicks off his creation and then promptly invites us to work with him, work alongside him, gives us and equips us with his authority, equips us so that our work can be a blessing. And even now, do you know that God is still hard at work? Romans tells us that he is working all things together for those who love him, and are called to this ancient path as royal priests. See, our work is a gift from God to us. Work is also a vehicle by which he can bring satisfaction and meaning into our lives. John Acuff talks about the satisfaction we can find in our work. He calls it being exhausted but elated. Have you ever had that feeling before? Do you know what he's talking about? When you've worked with all your heart at something, there is a sweet rest that awaits you, right? Exhausted but elated. Have you been there? Anybody done that kind of work before? Yeah, you're dead tired, but inside you, are, you couldn't be more full. There's a joy that comes when we work hard at what we were made to do, amen? You see, in the biblical worldview, work is not a plague. Work wasn't made to be a burden. It is a gift when we do it for him and according to his ways. It's a gift from God to you and I to bring meaning and purpose into our lives. And it's a gift to others when we work and cultivate the way he created us to. When we step into work God's ways, it's a blessing to others. We're called to make the world flourish, to bring forth good things. And I can tell you story after story 
of just incredible believers who have committed themselves to their work and blessed the entire world. You don't have to look very far to see people who trust in Jesus working this well. But actually something else strikes me. Uh, something else kind of I see happening in our world and it, it piques my interest and it's simply this. Even when somebody doesn't believe in God, even when somebody's not walking with him, they may not know But when they choose to act out his will and his ways, when they align their heart's purpose with God's intention and his design, their work can actually bring incredible purpose and meaning too. Have you noticed this? Somebody who maybe they don't believe in God, but their work is just bringing glory to him. And he blesses them as well. It's incredible. You know, there's a story that caught my attention a few years back Netflix released a a documentary series um, about uh, incredible chefs all over the world called Chef's Table. You guys seen Chef's Table? I dare you to watch Chef's Table and not just salivate the entire time. I mean, you look at this food they're creating, you're like, oh my gosh, you can eat that? I mean, it's like 300 bucks a plate or whatever, but it's incredible, okay? Um, And I encourage you, go watch it because it's it's cool. But um, the very opening section of the whole show, I mean, there's season after season now, but the first like two or three minutes is a story being told. And it it really is a story that doesn't really center around the food at all, which is weird for a show that's entirely about food. The story is not centered around food at all, but it's a story of a man using the raw materials and the talent that he has been given to bless people. And it captured my attention. I'm sure it captured the hearts of people all over the world who watched this show. Story goes like this. In the region of Italy, where Massimo Batura had his restaurant, there was a terrible earthquake. And it damaged 360,000 big wheels of Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. Mike, I'm sorry, I'm not Italian. I'm going to butcher this, okay? Uh, and as Massimo tells it, things were dire, in that region because so many people worked in that industry. Companies were on the brink. People were about to lose their jobs. It was a total disaster. This earthquake brought the region to its knees and time was running out until every one of those 360,000 wheels of cheese was going off, going bad. So Massimo decided to come up with an idea. He wanted to create something unique and amazing, something that was great, but so simple, a recipe that he could teach to the masses as one of the best chefs in the world that would include Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. So he worked tirelessly using his skill and his fame and gravitas. And on one special night, 40,000 people all over the world made his dish with that cheese. He summed up the result and what it meant to his region of Italy like this. All 360,000 wheels were sold. They were sold out. No one lost a job. No cheesemaker closed the doors. And that was a recipe as a social gesture. And I find myself asking as I was looking at this, why is this the beginning of a story about, or a show all about food? Why is this story being told? Why is this man's actions, why is it celebrated? You know, if we live in a world like our world believes where it's just survival of the fittest and morality is a myth, why do people care about this story? Why does it speak to us, right? I think maybe, just maybe, it speaks to us of something deeper. It speaks to us of something at the core of what it means to be a human being. 
made in God's image, when we work hard, given the materials he's given, to bless others, it brings something to life in us as people. Whether we know him yet or not, it brings something to life in us. A man whom God had blessed with incredible talent saw the chaos and disorder and decided to use the resources and materials he had so that people could be blessed. You see, even if somebody is not a believer, when they align with God's heart and purposes and design, it brings flourishing and it speaks to us of God's intentions. Why do you think so many people are drawn to various social causes in our world? Right? There's a million and one things. I remember working in marketing. They would constantly tell me, you got to do cause-related marketing, Ryan. Cause-related marketing. Like, if my product is good enough, I shouldn't need to cure cancer to sell it. But everything speaks to you of a social cause nowadays. Why? Why is that? Why are we so drawn to this? There's something in us that feels alive when we bring order to chaos, when we bring peace in the midst of turmoil, when we cultivate what has been decimated or restore the broken. Something comes alive in every human heart, whether they know why or not, just seems right to us. The reality is, without a connection to the one who gives the creativity in the first place and the authority in the first place, those warm, fuzzy feelings, they wear off, right? You know, the, the happiness that comes from doing great things when we don't know him and know why, it goes away. The justice that we aim for gets perverted, as scripture puts it. Because our world has it backwards. They skip the why. They haven't stopped to consider why our souls rise up within us when we love on others and bless unconditionally. But scripture tells us it's not a mystery. It's front and center to the biblical story. You were made to cultivate like this. You were made in God's image and he is a God who works. And when you work for the good of others, something will light up inside of you. It's front and center to the biblical story, but so many keep chasing the shadows of what God truly made them for. You and I were made to cultivate with him. And the greatest satisfaction, greatest joy you will ever experience is his joy and his presence as we work with him and work hard with all of our might. See, until we truly understand that why, why we work, we can't really work out how God has called us to work for his glory and uniquely equipped us. See, whatever gifts and talents God has given you, whatever passion he's given you, he wants to, he longs to show you how to put it in motion and cultivate with him. He wants to come alongside and show you how to bless others with those things he's equipped you with. You may be here today and you might think, you know, okay, but I'm not a chef. I'm not an architect. I don't build things. I I don't have that kind of work. Let me tell you, don't ever sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself short in the work God's given you to do. It may not be your job or your career. It may be something else in your life, but there is work that God has made you to do. Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24, Paul reminds the church at Colossae and Laodicea this. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
see, we were created to work with him, to be his co-laborers, his ambassadors. As God puts it, we were created to govern and reign over creation in his authority. And we're still called to work for him. No matter who your boss is, no matter what season of work you might be in, even if that's the season of retirement, there is work that God wants you to be doing with him. And it matters. We're called to work for him. And Paul says, engage that work with everything you are. Amen? So whatever you do, do it in such a way that it honors him and establishes his ways and his purposes. You know, when I first moved to England, I got put in charge of the most boring work you can imagine, okay? It was in database management. Woo, good old-fashioned database management. Where are my nerds at out there? All right, thank you, Jesus. You know, that was what I was entrusted with, okay? I was 22 years old, and I was entrusted with something that I, quite frankly, I had hated before that in college, my information systems coursework, I hated. And God has a sense of humor. He put me in charge of that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, thank you, Lord. So I threw myself into the world of spreadsheets and databases and Excel. Not a world that I want to revisit, if I'm honest. Um, But when I gave it my all, I poured myself into it. I can tell you, those spreadsheets, they were a thing of beauty. All right, nerds, they were a thing of beauty. I learned some things, okay? Honestly, my boss, when he hired me, said, Ryan, you're going to do a lot of boring tasks, but this is a job that's about hearts and minds. I did not connect the two at all, okay? I didn't connect the two at all. But the vehicle into the hearts and minds of my coworkers was to do the hard and thankless work that brought new insight in a fresh way. I didn't see it at the time, but our work really helped change the culture of my company. And four years later, four and a half years later when I left, it was a different story. And in a weird way, I kind of missed that mundane work because we did it so well. And your work, it can be a lot of things. And a lot of mundane things, a lot of tasks, they can actually be the ground that God's given you to cultivate today. Even when you don't feel like it. Our seasons change. But our responsibility is to ask every single day, what work has God given me today? What work has God called me to today? What ground can I cultivate today? And how can I do it in his image today? So whether you work in an office or from home, whether you're in and out of people's homes, whether you're on the road, your work is sacred when you work with him. Excuse me. One last time, I want to say this as well. If you're a full-time parent... If you're a full-time parent, I don't know that there's much work out there that is more thankless than being a full-time parent, but trust me, God's view of your work, he could not be more interested in what you're doing. He could not be more excited for the work that you're doing. One last time, John Mark Comer says this, he says, our culture as a whole, and even sadly within the church at times, doesn't have a high view of parenting, at least not as a career. God's view of the family, however, is over the top. To him, it's the first thing on humans' job description. Parents out there, wherever you are, you're amazing. We love you and we're with you. We want to come alongside you because there's no more important work. Amen? Whatever you do, whatever season you may be in, whatever work you have, 
God has created you and equipped you to do it in such a way that it will bring forth new life, that he will cultivate the world in and through you. But we have to be real about something with this why we work. Simply this. Pretty much nobody in our world looks at work this way. Right? Pretty much nobody you're going to meet on the street, even if they love what they do, unless they really know the word of God, they don't look at work in this way. We have a brokenness in our work culture that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. Our relationship to our work is quite frankly a mess in modern-day America. Around the world, you'll find different perceptions of work. But here in the U.S., we tend to see the extremes of people relating to their work. Okay? We seem to see polar opposites in the way that people have attitudes towards their work. Right? First thing we usually see is underwork. Underwork, whether it's a complete lack of desire to do work in the first place, whether it's driven by laziness, or maybe somebody got burnt out by their work, their job, and they're just like, I just can't do it anymore. We see this attitude that is just like, work is a plague, right? Work is just, I got to do this. It's, it's something that I hate. And, and work is sometimes talked about in this tone of lament. Thank you, Lisa. You are a godsend. <laughs> Appreciate it. Hmm. Underwork. Have you noticed this, that people tend to talk about their work in a tone of lament? Oh, yeah, I got to get back to work now, right? Have you ever met somebody on a weekend who is like, dear God, I, I can't wait for the weekend to be over. I just can't wait to get back in the office. No, that's sacrilegious, right? How dare they in our world, right? Because we tend to talk about work in a tone of lament a lot of times. Like pain, Oftentimes we see work as something just to be tolerated, got through, you know, or avoided at all costs sometimes. You've heard the old saying, I don't live to work, I work to live, right? And and this is part of the perception of work in our culture that we see very often. But what does Genesis tell us? Well, in the biblical vision, work isn't a plague. It's not something to be avoided at all costs. It's something to be engaged with all your heart. Work is a good thing, a gift from God his way of bestowing upon us identity and purpose. So in a way, we do live to work for him and with our God who is always at work and yet perfectly at rest. We also see a lot of the opposite, which is overwork in America, right? Am I right? People just throwing themselves into their work at every turn. Pastor John Tyson shares about this in his book called Beautiful Resistance, He looks at how our work culture and our general busyness that we live with is dominating our schedules, destroying our peace, eliminating margin, and deeply affecting even our bodies because of our work culture, which is so often hyper, hyper competitive, totally cutthroat. Depending on the work that you do, you might have experienced this more than others. And oftentimes, we feel this burden of perfectionism, right? Got to do it perfect. Got to do it better. Better than anybody else. Just a side note. You know there's a big difference between excellence and perfectionism. There's a big difference between excellence and perfectionism. We are called to be excellent. We are called to excellence and to be passionate about what God has given us to do. We are called to work with all our heart. But perfectionism will cripple you. It will cripple you. It will burn you out. It will put you in a place where you can't do anything unless you can do it perfectly. And that's not how God designed you to live. 
We see overwork in our culture because our work culture convinces us that our work is our identity. I mean, what's one of the first things you ask somebody when you meet them? Well, what do you do, right? You know, our world convinces us that you are only as valuable as what you produce. And that's backwards. That's backwards. So we keep giving a little extra. We'll make work even an idol in our lives, in our culture. But the Bible flips this idea on its head as well as it so often does. We don't work for approval. We don't work to find our identity or our value. We work because we have the approval of God in Jesus Christ and we were made in his image and we were created, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. That is why we work. We need to take a good, hard look at what drives our thoughts and our attitudes about our work that we've been called to do. Is it the culture around us that defines what work means to us? Or is it the word of God? See, we're made in the image of a God who works and delights in his work. The amazing thing about God is he is hard at work and perfectly at rest at the same time. That seems like a tricky line to walk. Anybody else? find a little bit of trouble with that. Hard at work, passionate, excellent, and yet at peace and rest. Maybe the word can help us find this balance. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes an invitation to us, and maybe it's one you need to hear today, depending on the work you've been doing. He says, come to me when you're overburdened, when you're tired and weary, when you've got a heavy load, when you've been working really hard, come to me, he says. And he promises to give us rest for our souls. But what the great physician prescribes in this moment is a little shocking. He uses a metaphor about joining him in work. He doesn't say, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden. I'll teach you how to just unplug from everyone and everything and take a month-long vacation so you can get your head together. He doesn't say, do the eat, pray, love thing, right? That's not what Jesus says. He says, take my yoke upon you. Hang on a minute, Jesus. Isn't a yoke an instrument of work? Yes, it is. I'm glad you asked. That's right. When Jesus, when we're tired, Jesus says to us, come on, let's get to work. Does that seem a little funny to anybody else today? It does to me. He says, walk with me. Work with me. Let me show you how to do work in a way that refreshes and cultivates and aligns with how I made you. Don't work according to everybody else's ideas for who you are. Let me show you who you are. Let me remind you, you were made in my image given special, special skills, talents, abilities, and ready to cultivate. See, how we apply ourselves, how we work in our world, our energy, our talent, our resources, how we cultivate the world around us flows directly from understanding who we are, our identity, being made in his image. So let me tell you today, don't ever stop entering into what he calls you to do with your life. Don't ever stop working with him. Amen? Because Paul tells us that our reward is coming. Our reward is coming. You know, God knows the times when your work is exhausting. He knows the times when it's tough. He knows when parenting two young kids is all you can do. 
He knows it all when you're battling through it. But he is not leaving you in that place. He is moving you surely and steadily towards something better than you could ever imagine. You know, the story doesn't just end with us taking up work and wondering where it's going. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible, the end of the story in Revelation looks an awful lot like the beginning of the story in Genesis? Have you noticed that? I mean, think about it. We have the presence of God with human beings again at all times. We have the tree of life, the river of life. There is garden imagery absolutely everywhere in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's everywhere. But it's not Eden returned. It's not Eden. It's no longer wild and untamed and disordered. It's been cultivated, established, perfected. It is reimagined as the holy city, the new Jerusalem, where we will be with him forever. And what are we doing there? Because we're there too. Do you know what we're doing in Revelation chapter 21 and 22? We're working. We're working with him. We're reigning. We are cultivating the earth once again with the king. One day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Until that day, we live in a world that has a broken work culture. We live in a world that thrives on destruction rather than reconstruction with him. There's a lot of disorder. But you and I are called to be those people who take the raw materials we're given, the talent that he's entrusted us with, and bring something beautiful out of it every single day. We're called to be those people who work in both the mundane and the miraculous to see God's kingdom and his ways come about in our sphere of influence. Amen? So let me ask you today, what are you working on? What work has God given you to do today? Because he's given every single one of us something to work at with all of our hearts. What are you working on? Paul instructed the church at Colossae, bring your whole self to it. Do it with excellence. So in everything we do, whether that's spreadsheets and databases, or food, or landscaping, or medicine, or running a business, or teaching, do it with all your heart. Point to him with the excellence that you pursue it with. Bring forth good things into that place, because you are made in the image of a God who creates what is good and very good. Amen? I'm reminded of Moses, you know, when he encounters God in the burning bush, he felt totally inadequate, right? God said to him, I'm going to use you. I've got work for you to do, Moses, and it's going to bless your people. Moses starts in all the reasons why God can't use him. I've done that with God before. I know you may have done that before with God too. He felt totally inadequate. If anything, he's like the least likely candidate. In fact, he's on the run, right, in this moment. I love what God says to him. He ignores all of the excuses. He ignores all the cop-outs that Moses keeps throwing at him. And he simply says to him, what's in your hand, Moses? What work are you doing today? What's in your hand? What have I given you to do? Can I have that? Let's go with that. Let's start right there. And let me show you how what I've entrusted you to do today is going to unlock what I've got for you tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. What's in your hand? What work has God given you to do today? You might think, this is completely boring and task-driven. It doesn't bless a single person on earth. Do it with all your heart. 
You're not serving your earthly boss. You're serving the Lord Christ. So as we close today, I want us to reflect for just a minute. You can close your eyes and we'll have the band come back up. Ask the Lord now and just say, God, what is it that you've put in my hands? What is it that you've given me to do today? You know, not just maybe a career, but across the board. I mean, you might have a job that you do or a career that you work at, but there may be other things that are more important even. What has God put in your hands? What are the raw materials he's entrusted you with? What is the talent that he's given you? You know, I would love to pray with you today. And if you're here today, and maybe you are thinking a little bit like Moses, like, yeah, God can't use this. God can't use me. Maybe you're wondering, God, you know, how on earth is this going to bring you glory in my life? This isn't sacred work, it's secular work. Maybe you've bought into that one. Maybe you feel stuck in your work. Or maybe you're retired and you're like, my working days are over. What has God given you today? How can you put it in play for the kingdom and for his glory? How can you do it with excellence? So please, come and pray with me. I'm going to be over at the side. CJ is here. Zahar and Laura are here. Come and find somebody. Let's pray about what you're doing today. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're lost in it, I would love to do that with you. But don't stop, all of us, don't stop pressing into what it means to be created in God's image what it means to work and be excellent at what he's called you to do. Amen? There's a character that I love in the Bible, and he has his story repeated multiple times in the Bible, King Hezekiah. And I want to pray this thought over you, sort of as a benediction today. May this be the kind of people we commit ourselves to being. This is the final word on Hezekiah's life from 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 21. It says this, In every work that he began, in the service of the house of God and the law and the commandments, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, and so he prospered. Father, in every work that you've given us to do, In every task, however mundane or however amazing we find it to be, may we work at it with all of our heart. May it be our our prayer, may it be our act of worship, because we were made to work with you. Lord, if we don't know what that is, will you give us clarity and wisdom? Will you give us a new, fresh vision and calling to work and walk with you every day of our lives? Help us, Lord to see what you've given us and put in our hands and to entrust it back to you and say, I'm doing it for you. I may not understand all the time. I may not be able to see it, but I trust you and I want to work with you. God, would you be glorified in the way that we work today? We do it more than we do anything else but sleep. God, would it be our our anthem that we raise to you today? Help us in everything we do, everything that we find that we can put our hands to, Lord, to do it well, to cultivate where you've planted us today and to bring you glory, that your kingdom would come here as it is in heaven. Help us not just to pray that prayer you gave us, but to work at it, to let it be an active thing in our lives. Lord, help us not just to abstain from the ways of our world, 
but to create a better culture with you, to engage differently. I know in workplaces that we all inhabit, I know several of the workplaces, even in this room, it's difficult, it's hard work. Not only is the work itself hard, but sometimes the culture is hard to be part of. Sometimes it's draining. God, would you energize your people again to work like this? Would you help us to remember that everything we do, we are doing it for you, not for that boss, not for the bottom line, not to find our identity in it, but we trust that our identity is who you have called us to be, that we are redeemed and approved because of Jesus Christ and that you prepared in advance good work for us to do. So we enter in with all our hearts. Be glorified in the way we honor you in our workplaces. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people say, amen, amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.